if you're able to do so comfortably, would you stand for a minute? I know it's been like a century and a half since we greeted one another, and I'm not saying we're all ready to be cuss, kiss, cussing, cussing and higging, <laughs> hugging and kissing each other, but could we just do this? Could we just turn around and give sort of a bow to one another, all right? The, the presence of Christ is in the people around you. Just go ahead, acknowledge them with a little bit. you got to turn around to do it. Good to see you. Good to see you. Awesome. All right. You can be seated. <laughs> All the introverts are like, yes, I can do the bow. Just don't make me talk. I, I did that this morning, really, because I, I personally was looking around and seeing people and feeling happy, like, isn't it fun that we get to be together? It really is. It's good to be together um, with people that we're, they're, we're walking up the mountain to Jesus with. It's just really good. Um, uh, anybody ever, ever heard of Dirk Willem? Anybody? Dirk Willem? It's not a prophetic word. He's not a, he's not a baseball star. He's not a media star. Born in the late 50s, 1550s. Anybody? Dirk Willem was born in Holland, and uh, he, uh, in his teen years, had a pretty radical conversion to Christ. And as a part of his coming to Christ, he, he was a part of a movement that didn't believe in infant baptism. Catholic Church, Protestant Church at the time in the 16th century in Holland was big into infant baptism, so big that if you didn't agree, it was considered heresy worthy of imprisonment and death. So this young man comes, yeah, we're not going to start it again. So this young man comes to faith and he's rebaptized. And in direct uh, contravention of the, the laws, the religious laws of the day. And as a result, Dirk Vellum was put in prison. And um, he escaped prison. Sounds like a fairy tale. This is documented truth. He escaped the prison by um, tying dirty rags together, and he went out, the, went out the window and was able to get down to the moat below this kind of fortress castle. And he, he runs across the frozen moat and is running across the field to escape. A guard sees him, the guard who had helped to put him in jail, and the guard runs after him. Obviously, if the moat's frozen, it's cold, it's wintertime in Holland, think Hans Brinker, you know? Anybody? Okay. <laughs> I felt so alone there for a minute. <laughs> so Dirk is running across the field, and he's able, because he's lost so much weight in prison, he's able to run across a pond that's iced over. But the guard behind him is not able to cross the pond safely and breaks through the ice and falls into the pond, at which point the guard starts to yell, help, help, help. And Dirk Willem turns around, goes back, pulls his captor out of the frozen water and saves his life. He's recaptured. They take him back, and though the prison guard begs for his life, the prison master says, no, he's committed this sin. He's been rebaptized and is living out this new faith. And Dirk Vellum is, remains in prison, then sentenced to death, and is burned at the stake. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> It's a, it's a true story. He had joined with the early Anabaptists. It's a movement, if you think of Mennonites and that kind of uh, 
crowd of people following Jesus today. It's a group of people who'd committed themselves to living out in real practical terms the Sermon on the Mount. And Dirk Willem, with this faith, was living out the Sermon on the Mount by helping this man who wanted to kill him, even probably not realizing it, but ending with his death. Jesus gives the Sermon on the Mount not to give us new laws, like in every situation, here's exactly what you have to do, but he gives us the Sermon on the Mount to give us a picture of what life in this new kingdom looks like. He's not giving us new laws, do this, do that. He's saying this is what life in the kingdom looks like. And so everything we're reading, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not practices that have to be followed in order to gain righteousness. They are the new way that believers would live. It's their examples and understanding of what it looks like to live in the world as Jesus would live in the world through us. So I'm going to read through this passage. Um, If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 5. And we're starting with verse 33. And we're going to read all the way to 48. And if you would, if you're okay, would you stand as I read the word of Jesus to us this morning. Matthew 5, starting in 33. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to them Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And not even the tax co- are, are not even the tax collectors doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. And Jesus finishes this with this simple statement, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Amen. You can be seated. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on the oath part of this. I think there's significance to it uh, for us. I just think that some of the other portions might be a little bit more timely in our uh, uh, current culture. But uh, to, to speak about it plainly, Jesus is saying, don't, don't swear an oath in, in effect. When we say, you know, I swear on a stack of Bibles, or I promise, you know, uh, so help me God, or cross my heart, hope to die, all those terrible things that we were taught to. What a horrible thing. Where do we ever teach our kids to do that? What we're doing by that is saying, you can't trust me. That's really what we're saying. 
But you can trust this real extreme statement I'm going to put out there. Aren't we tempted sometimes to exaggerate because we want people to do what we want them to do? We want them to take us at our word. We want them to to um, own what is true. We want them to believe us. And so we manipulate with exaggeration. I mean, it is so common. We, we, we skip over it half the time. We just read hyperbole, hyperbole, hyperbole. And then when someone says they're going to do something, what we often think inside is, well, we'll find out. And Jesus just cuts to the chase and says, here's what kingdom commitment and communication looks like. Just do what you say you're going to do. And then if you say you're not going to do it, don't do it. And then you'll be at peace. Now, I just I want to use this to, to reinforce this point that Adam and I, I feel like, are hammering. These are not laws given by Jesus. This is invitation into new, a new way of life. Because remember when Jesus says, you know, he tells the story about the person, what is it better, to say you'll do something and then not do it, or to say you won't do something and then do it? And he affirms the person who says they wouldn't do it, and then goes ahead and does it. So if you believe that, and then you apply this as a law, you're busted, right? So just recognize, these are not laws. This is Jesus saying, this is what a person in the kingdom would look like. It would, it would look like this. When you say you're going to do something, then you just do it. it. We call it integrity. And it's a short, commod, short commodity. There's a supply chain issue with integrity. But Jesus has plenty of it, and he's given it away to his people, and he says, here's a really powerful currency of the kingdom, integrity in your speech. Jesus' brother James likes it too. He just says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's move on to, uh, that's the easy one, right? Commitment, just do what you say you're going to do. Let's move on to conflict in the kingdom. I think that that might speak to us in a pretty visceral way. You've heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek. Someone sues you and wants your shirt, give them also your coat. Someone asks you to go a mile, go another mile. Give to anyone who asks you. In the Old Testament, the understanding of justice was reciprocity. So if something bad happens to you and you can do that thing bad back to them, that and no more, eye for eye, not eye for head, eye for eye, then somehow justice will be served. Really important point as we look at what Jesus is saying here, as he says, you know, you've heard eye for eye, tooth for tooth, and I say don't resist an evil person. Just by nature of the specific law that Jesus is speaking about, it's personal injury. Can you hear that? It's personal injury, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. I don't think, personally, Jesus is making a statement about institutional evil. And sometimes we can get in trouble when we take this, one, we make it a law, and then two, we impose it on everyone. I don't think Jesus is saying you have to be a pacifist to follow me. I'm not saying that Jesus wasn't a pacifist. I apparently am not saying anything at all. I don't think that's what we take from this text. I think he's talking about personal evil. So rather than you remember in the Old Testament times, someone did this to you, it was perfectly right and righteous to do it back and justice would be served. I think somewhere along the way they realized that doesn't work too well. That's called war. When 
personal squabbles turn into corporate things, and we're just back and back and back. I mean, look in, the, look in Eastern Europe, look in the Middle East, look in your neighborhood, where it's happening all around us. What Jesus is talking about is the virtue and the power of righteous response. The virtue and the power of righteous response. Response that comes out of the heart formed by God that Adam talked about last week. Not, res- not response that comes out of reaction and visceral, you know, like, oh, I will show them. Anyone know that feeling? Jesus is not issuing a new law. He's describing the, person of, the type of person who lives in the kingdom. And so we just can't take these statements out of context and apply them as law. What he is saying is, what would a kingdom person look like? And then he gets into some real practical examples. And he says real basically, in the kingdom, whereas you might imagine that if somebody hit you, the natural response would be to hit them back or flee. Jesus says, no, in the kingdom, it might look more like this. Somebody hits you and attacks you, and you stand firm in your vulnerability and show outrageous moral and physical courage. Think about what that does in the aggressor. Have have you ever decided not to fight with someone who wants to fight with you? You know how frustrated they get? Isn't that awesome? I had a girlfriend once. (laughs) So it's before Jane. I had this girlfriend. (laughs) Why am I saying this? In college, and I realized, um, I mean, somewhere in the relationship, I realized she, she just loved drama. So if things were good with us, that was not good for her. She needed to fight. And I just, I remember where I was walking across a quad at Miami University thinking, I do not want to fight with this woman for the rest of my life. I broke up with her the next day. It's not that sad. It's a good thing. Here's my point. She wanted to fight. When I didn't fight, there was nothing to react to. The only thing she could then get angry with was my non-aggression. And can you see what that feels like in an aggressive person? It diffuses aggression when we meet aggression with vulnerability and courage. Look at the life of Jesus. If... If you have a young toddler and your toddler in learning how to figure out their emotions hits you, I'm going to assume for the sake of good here, we don't hit them back, all right? Why don't you hit your toddler back? You don't hit your toddler back because you're more mature than your toddler. Maybe, Right? You don't hit your toddler back to show that you can dominate, to show that you win, to show that you're right. Right? You, what you're teaching your toddler by not hitting them back or when they come at you in tears and anger and you just hug them, what you're saying is acceptance and love and unconditional grace and mercy. That's more powerful than your anger. You are really expressing kingdom maturity when you do that. Where did we lose that? Out in the world. Why is it that we think when these immature people out there come at us with aggression that somehow that it should turn now and now we should go back to being the toddler who meets aggression with aggression and hate with hate? Jesus says if one with the heart of the kingdom is going to be sued, 
Somebody wants their shirt and they ought to go further and recognize the need of that person. He's talking about personal injury, a suit where someone feels like this is owed to me from you. He's not saying who's right or who's wrong. He's just saying the heart of someone in the kingdom would look at it like this. Wow, you're suing me for my shirt. You need that. Do you have other needs that I might be able to meet? The purpose isn't to show yourself as a martyr. The purpose is love. What Jesus is saying is there was an old way of doing it when everything was reciprocity. And then the king came and made grace available to all. And all of a sudden we walk in abundance. So we don't have to um, meter out little bits and then make sure we get exactly back what, what is required or what is needed or what is expected. We get to live in grace. That's what Jesus is saying. It's the heart characterized by unconditional love acting in the best interest of the other. It's not a law. It's not a law prohibiting defense or negotiation. It's not a law. It's an invitation into new, a new way of live, living, a new power, the realm of the kingdom down on earth. You've probably heard it at the time of Jesus. A Roman soldier could legitimately, legally come up to a a Jew and say, I, I command you to carry this for me, to, to, do my, to bear my burden. They were allowed to do that. And what Jesus is saying is, that's a part of the law, do that. But if, if a person, even your enemy, has need, can you get yourself out of, I'll only do what's expected of me and move into, how could I serve you as an example of the kingdom? Jesus saying this, knowing he is about to serve the world who hates him by dying for them. And he's just given the teaching. This is what it looks like in the kingdom. The righteous heart transformed by love is willing to further assist beyond what is required. Don't you love it when your kids just do that? Like you teach them, you teach them, and then finally they say, you know, I know that this was all you expected, but I did this because I love you. And you realize, oh, wow, Jesus has made his way into that heart. Because that's not natural. That's unnatural. That's supernatural. That's like another world has come down into this world. And finally, the the kingdom heart will be open to giving to anyone in need, not just to those who might have some reasonable um, expectation of giving. Jesus is saying, of course, we're going to help our family, our friends, the ones we love, the ones we kind of connect with. But he's saying the kingdom is bigger than that. Real love will be shown in the kingdom when we're willing to give to anyone who might need. Is this a law? No. I got in a little trouble about 30 years ago applying this as a law. I thought Jesus says give to everyone who asks. We moved to Austria. We were living around Vienna. There were gypsies and beggars everywhere. And I started giving away everything we had. And Jane knew something's wrong with this. <laughs> but I couldn't get it because I was just trying to, to, to obey the law of Jesus. And now I recognize, no, this isn't a law. This is a heart transformed that's able to look on those who are different than me and say, do I have something to meet this need? Not must I give, but am I willing? Is my heart open or is my heart predetermined by boundaries? based on what I think about you, what you expect from me, what I owe you. Jesus just blows the whole thing up with grace. Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, 
pacifist and aggressor in the time of the Second World War, put it this way. He says, the passion of Christ is the victory of divine love over the powers of evil. Jesus calls those who follow him to share his passion. When you hear passion, read suffering. To share his passion. How can we convince the world by our preaching of the passion when we shrink from that passion in our own lives? The cross is the only power in the world which proves that suffering love can avenge and vanquish evil. Bonhoeffer, as usual, goes wham. The cross is the only power in the world which proves that suffering love can avenge and vanquish evil. So we have commitment or communication and commitment. We have personal and physical conflict. We now go even deeper into the content of the heart. Jesus takes it away from the personal and external, and he goes inside where where it really hurts, right? Where it's, where it's really a challenge. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. I'm just waiting for that to be the news caption on any publication anywhere in the world ever. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Jesus is commanding an opposite spirit response. One of the big things that Jesus shows and communicates over and over, how he demonstrates it and he teaches it, is that there is a spirit of the world, and when the king of the world comes, he shows a different spirit, an opposing spirit, not a violent spirit, but a different spirit. And so Jesus says, when the spirit of the world comes at you, hate those who hate you, attack those who attack you, you turn that around and from the kingdom love within you, you say, no, I'm going to meet that with an opposite spirit. Your attack is going to be my blessing. From a renewed heart, powerful, unconditional the humble love of Jesus, the humble love of Jesus. Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his love to us by this. He stomped out all our sin. It doesn't say that. God demonstrates his love to us by this. He kills all people who don't. It doesn't say that. It just says this, Christ died for us. That's how he showed his love. While we were his enemies, he loved us purely and he loved us wholly. He gave when we were not only not giving and not only wanting to take from him, but also wanting to attack and to kill him. While we were still enemies, Christ died for us. That's humble love. It's not natural. It's supernatural. It's it's otherworldly. I love this phrase Adam said last week. He said, the hope of the gospel is that you and I can change. The hope of the gospel is that you and I can change because of the love and grace of God available to us in Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one. This is the kingdom of God. This is the place where kings give up thrones to serve. This is the place where gods descend to walk with humans. 
This is the place where greatness equals giving, where last means first, where we get all we need by giving all we have. That's the kingdom, the upside down nature of the kingdom, where love equals obedience, where sinners are met with grace and mercy, not condemnation, imprisonment, and death at the stake. Where heaven meets earth, this is the kingdom of God. This is humble love. I'm going to read you a quote um, by someone. You, uh, I'll tell you who it is afterwards. I just want you to hear this. When the opportunity presents itself for you to defeat your enemy, that is the time which you must not do it. There will come a time in many instances when the person who hates you most, the person who has misused you most, the person who has gossiped about you most, the person who has spread false rumors about you most, there will come a time when you will have an opportunity to defeat that person. It might be in terms of a recommendation for a job. It might be in terms of helping that person to make some move in life. That's the time you must not do it. That is the meaning of love. In the final analysis, love is not this sentimental something that we talk about. It's not merely an emotional something. Love is creative goodwill for all men. It's the refusal to defeat any individual. Listen to this. When you rise to the level of love, of its great beauty and power, you seek only to defeat evil systems. Individuals who happen to be caught up in that system, you love. Martin Luther King Jr. And he lived it out. We get to, we get to live that out. Humble love. Change the world one time, that's called the cross. And humble love will change the world again and again through you, through me. And the question, the active question is, will we choose humble love? Will I choose humble love? Will you choose humble love? Not in a grand way, in a journal entry in the morning when the sun's coming in and the coffee's perfect. We all choose humble love then. Will we choose humble, humble love at 9.01 when we walk in or at 10.01 when we leave? Will we, use, will we choose humble love uh, in the kitchen with the spouse or the child? Will we choose humble love when we get together with our parents or our kids or our in-laws or whoever for Thanksgiving and things start flying and opinions? And Will we choose humble love? Honesty, vulnerability, willingness to give sacrificially for the good of another, no matter the heart of the other. Love for haters, prayer even for evil people. And you'd think that would be enough. <laughs> you'd think Jesus would say, all right, work on that for an eternity or so, and then we'll, I'll get back to you. But he doesn't end there. He has to go all the way and says, now that, now that I think of it, be perfect. Just be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Now, some people in certain personality um, scales like perfection. <laughs> and I thought, man, this is fun. I get to preach a sermon and tell everyone to be perfect. Unfortunately, I know some of the biblical language. So I know what the word means that Jesus uses here. The word is teleos. Teleos. And it can be used to mean perfect. I mean, it is a legitimate word for perfect without blemish. 
but the way Jesus uses it and the way Paul uses it continually through the New Testament is a word that means whole, pointing to the end for which a thing is intended, becoming all that you're meant to be. We're not talking about the army. We're talking about Jesus. Teleos is, is moving towards this wholeness, this being the person that God has called you to be, to walk into maturity. So teleos, when Jesus says, be perfect, be teleos, as your father in heaven is teleos, he, he's saying God is all that he's ever meant to be and it oozes out of him at every spot. You get to do that too. Not a new law. Imperfection, death. No, Jesus put that away. He dealt with imperfection by his death. Now the new way of thinking and living and and empowered love is, I want to be like Jesus. I actually want to be like Jesus. I want to walk in the world like Jesus would walk in the world. To laos, it's something becoming complete, brought to an end, the goal for which it exists. And so in Ephesians 4, where Paul's given it to the pastors, and he's saying, here's the job of you in ministry, is Ephesians 4, 12, and 13, equip God's people for works of service so that the body may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become teleos, mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so Jesus can say, be teleos, as your Father in heaven is teleos. He can say, look to the perfectly mature model of your life and model your life after him and receive the heart of Jesus and the love of Jesus, empowering you to live as he lived. That's the heart of the kingdom follower, to be as Christ, to live as Christ, to love as Christ, to be simply honest as Christ, vulnerable, as Christ, disarming the violent with humble love as Jesus did, courage, giving all that is needed, not just what might be expected, giving not simply to those who expected, but even to enemies. I was talking to Jacqueline Furness earlier this week. Jacqueline served on staff here for lots of years, and now she leads our Sozo ministry. And as I was asking her about her ministry, she said, what I'm recognizing, this is just classic Jacqueline. She's just sitting there with a cup of coffee in her hand and wisdom from heaven pours out. She's like, what I'm realizing is that the fruit of the spirit are weapons of warfare. And I just went, wow, (laughs) that's really good. Can you keep talking so I can write this down? I think Jesus would agree with Jacqueline. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? Think about what the Holy Spirit oozed through Jesus in his life on earth. Love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of the spiritual power that came through Jesus in his life is now available to us. It's in us. That is the spiritual fruit of the Holy Spirit in and through our lives. It's so interesting. At the end of that phrase in Galatians 5, where where Paul's going through the fruit of the Spirit, 
He says, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which there is no law. And I thought, I've always thought, what a strange phrase. Why would there be a law against any of those things, self-control? And when I read it this time, I felt like it was more like Paul is saying, these are legitimate weapons. You want power? Here's your power. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What more do you need in your arsenal? Jesus didn't need any more. I was... um, I was at Einstein's this morning because that's what I do on Sunday mornings, looking at my wife, the dietitian. That was a confession. <laughs> and so I walk in. There's, there's a lot of people there waiting for things because you can't sit in there anymore. You know, you, you just kind of order and then you wait in this strange conglomeration of a, like an amoeba. <laughs> so I, I walk up. I'm still thinking about my message, obviously. I'm on my way in here and... Um, the, the woman that normally serves me on Sunday mornings is training another woman. And um, so I'm, I'm making my order, and I, I just glanced down, and I saw on the woman's arm, it, her tattoo said hate. I mean, it's real big, bold letters. It said hate. So I'm thinking, interesting. And um, I got my food. I paid. I got my coffee. I paid. I'm standing over there, like, waiting in the amoeba, and I'm just thinking. And I'm just being honest. Like, my, my first human, Randy, thought was, what a perfect sermon illustration. You see how much the world needs love? That people would be out there with hate scribbled on their arms. That was my first thought. I confess it. And then I think I had a kingdom thought. I think I had a Jesus thought. Because I just thought, like most of you would, I bet there's a story. There's got to be a story. So... This is minor miracle for me. You know, I just love how God works. I'm standing there sort of in this, what do I do? I don't know what to do about this. There's all these people waiting there. And, and, but there's no one in the line now. And so this woman is just sort of standing there with nothing to do. So I take my coffee and I sort of sidle up and I say, excuse me. <laughs> I just noticed that you have hate tattooed on your arm. And the first thing she registered in her eyes was fear. That was the first thing. I could tell she felt defensive, like, oh, no. And um, so I said, because I saw her reaction, I said, I'm assuming there must be some positive thing that you're trying to, to work out or something. I mean, I just thought there must be something there. Like, there must be some good reason for that to be on your arm. And she just started to cry immediately. She said, no, there's no good reason. She said, that's why I'm trying to hide it. And I hadn't noticed before, but she was doing everything like this. She didn't want anyone to see the hate. And then she started to cry. I mean, tears going down her mask, you know. And she said, I'm so ashamed. So I'm standing there. (laughs) I'm looking like everyone is watching this woman break down in tears. I don't really know what to do now. So I just put my hand on her shoulder and I said, you don't need to be ashamed. I said, it's it's okay. I said, I've got no condemnation. I can't, I can't imagine what you must have been like. She's just, what you must have been through. She's just crying. I said, hey, what's your name? She told me your name. I said, my name's Randy. I'm a pastor at the church around the corner. Um, I come in here often enough. Next time I see you, could we just sit down and pray together? She said, I'd like that. That was it. And um, 
So I, I, you know, I walked out and I realized the Holy Spirit's in me, right? The Holy Spirit's in me. And, and everyone, every person out there who has hate tattooed on their lives in some way, shape, or form, they all have a story. There's, some, there's something underneath that. And Jesus was able to see the story underneath people. Jesus was able to look at the woman at the well and say, I know your story, so you don't have to come at me with all that. And the woman goes away feeling accepted, known, and loved because that's the power of the kingdom through a person, Jesus and you and me. We get to carry that type of peace and redemption into the world. Let's stand. I want to do something a little bit different this morning. We're running a little late, but um, you can participate as you want. I'd like to ask the ministry team to come forward. Jane, could you bring my mask and my, um, and my uh, anointing oil? What I want to do this morning is as the ministry team comes forward, um, we'll have to wait. As the ministry team comes forward, I, I want to I invite anyone who would like to be anointed to be perfect. <laughs> I would like to invite you to be anointed to be released into teleos. Maybe something from the message this morning or maybe something just happening in your life, you realize that Jesus himself is calling you into maturity. And I don't mean that like I'm going to really do it this time. I mean letting the heart of Jesus be manifest in your life so that grace works in and then grace works out. So no big hype here, but if you would just like to be anointed with oil and prayed for, we will just release the power of the Holy Spirit in you unto growth, unto wholeness, unto the the heart of Jesus so that the heart of Jesus would be worked in us in ways that we become those mature adults who don't hit back, who give when it's asked, who go the extra mile, who love our enemies and even pray for them, who the world can look and see, I see something in you and it's whole, it's perfect and I want that because what they're saying is I want Jesus. So uh, I'll just pray for us and I'll ask you, if you want, you can line up and we'll just, uh, we'll just pray. We'll just anoint you. Be real quick. We'll just anoint you to, to be released into wholeness, into growth, whatever God wants to do. After everyone has come through who wants to be anointed, if you want to come and have someone on the ministry team pray for you, then we'll just do it again. Okay. So come forward anytime you want. Lord, I ask now that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would um, release to us your wholeness, your maturity, your grace, your humble love. I ask for that in the name of Jesus, the humble love of Jesus. And as we're touched with the oil, the symbol of the Holy Spirit, would you release the power of the Holy Spirit? And would you release upon us as individuals and as a church, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Let these be the weapons of our warfare. In Jesus' name, amen.